Good morning. Good to be with you again. Merry Christmas, almost. Everybody's dressed so nice. Um, We're going to be uh, talking about the second greatest uh, story, one of the second greatest stories uh, in the Bible. The uh, there are quite a number of them. They dominate, actually. Uh, what's the greatest story? The greatest story in the Bible, of course, is what God has done for us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God became a man, that uh, he uh, came because we had a debt we couldn't pay, and so he paid it for us, dying on the cross, uh, that God would do such a thing for you and I. Um, and uh, <clears throat> he was buried and rose again on the third day according to what God had said, and was taken up into heaven as proof that uh, he paid the penalty for our sins. What's the second greatest story? There are many, many of them in the scripture. We're going to look at one of them this morning. They are the links to which God has gone to make sure we know about the greatest story. For example, why was the stone rolled away in the garden after the resurrection? Primarily, not to let Jesus out. He didn't go out that way. But to let John in. John came in, and what he saw was enough to convince him that the greatest story was true, and it was that moment that he got saved. God was drawing him. God had caused him to be born again, but he responded at that point in time. He saw the linen wrappings, and he believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness at that point. wasn't enough for uh, Thomas. He said, no matter what John said, no matter what the others said, because they'd seen the resurrected Jesus, he said, unless I see myself the nail prints in his hands, and I put my hand, unless I see these things personally myself, I will not believe. Eight days later, Jesus, who was very, 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 very concerned about Thomas and that he would spend eternity with him. He died for him. He gave his life for him. He wanted to make sure that he had enough evidence to convince him or whatever he needed. And so he came through the wall and he said, hey, Thomas, I heard you. Come over and see. Put your hand here. Put your hand here and be not what? Unbelieving, but believing. The word doesn't mean to have intellectual assent. It means to put your trust in and to rely upon what God has done for us in Christ. And we have many, 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 many of these, starting from the very beginning of the revelation that we have, and it goes beyond that. As a matter of fact, if we were to take the time and talk about the links to which God has gone to have you see and know and understand the greatest story, what stories they would be, I think they would be as equally fantastic as the one we're going to be looking at this morning, that he would get to you 2,000 years after this happened. And we're sitting here, uh, and anyway, we don't going to go through those, but the testimonies that we would have about what he has done. This morning, and you're welcome to turn to Luke, uh, I mean, Matthew chapter 2, but I have it up here and you can read it with me because I'm going to read it very quickly this morning. The first 12 verses of the basically the opening of the New Testament, after we have the first of the two genealogies there in Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi 
from the east arrived in Jerusalem. You know this sect of individuals that we were introduced to in the book of Daniel? Uh, 600 years prior to this, he led them. But they uh, still exist, kingmakers. Uh, we have quite a record of who they were at this particular time. But they arrived from the east, probably had traveled about 800 miles. Must have taken them more than a month or so, if you track it. Taking that uh, major trade route up through Ur of the Chaldees and down to Jerusalem from where they would have started. Where is he after they arrived in Jerusalem? Who has been born king of the Jews? Nobody knew. We have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. You see, the Persians from where they were leading and doing the things that the sect of kingmakers did for centuries and were still doing. Uh, they were uh, the enemies of the Roman Empire. We're here on the edge of the border here, Israel, Jerusalem. The Romans were not in open conflict with them, but they were enemies. He was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, quoting from Matthew, uh, Micah chapter 5, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And it goes on there in chapter 5 to say, and he's existed from all eternity. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time when the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Liar, liar, liar. And having heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary's mother and fell down and uh, worshipped him. We want to just quickly go over who these men were, what they knew, and how they knew it. They came to Jerusalem and said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? How did they know? I don't know what I have here. Nope. I've introduced a little bit here of who these uh, individuals were. How many were there? Well, this uh, sect of... uh, cast, if you want to call them, of kingmakers was probably at least a hundred, maybe a couple of hundred, if it goes on the the uh, numbers that are over the history of these hundreds of years of these individuals trained in the service of the king, many times being the ones that he ruled with. And they were coming over here. Who would have wanted to uh, stay and not go to this greatest event that they'd been waiting for for hundreds of years? And uh, they were so important in the kingdom that they probably had an escort. They pro- because they were going along this trade route, probably, that came over, that was uh, 
if you look at it from the map and see where they came from, it's about 800 miles. So we're talking about a travel time of somewhere between four and six weeks, probably 20, 25 miles a day. Uh, places uh, right through where all the robbers and the uh, bands would stop you and rob you and uh, so they had to have some protection. So coming in here to Jerusalem, it was probably more than the three. We have no idea how many there were, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were a couple of dozen of these guys. And how many guards would you want to send with the most important guys of the kingdom across uh, land? So several dozen soldiers, but all Jerusalem was troubled, not by three guys on camels who came into town and said, where is he? But by this enemy force that came into town and said, we're here. To worship, you know, to find and worship the one who's coming to be the king, <laughs> and uh, all Jerusalem was very troubled by them. Uh, <clears throat> what did they know? Where is he? Who has been born king of the Jews? Well, the, how did they know that the future king of the Jews had been born? How did they know? If they knew, and they did. How did they know the child was God, become a man? We've come to worship him. And if you have a question about whether they thought this was God or not, we'll confirm that in a little bit. They did. How did they know he was there? Well, uh, this is a Jewish king and this is the capital. It's logical they would come into Jerusalem, but they obviously expected people to know where he was. And uh, the answer is this. God had known and prepared for these men from before the foundation of the world. Everyone who saved Ephesians chapter one, verse four, he knew us. He chose us, the word, before the foundation of the world. He numbered our days. They're written in the Lamb's book of life. And these individuals were known by him before the foundation of the world. And he prepared that they should know enough to respond in trust in what he had done for them in Christ. God loved these men, and so he went to great, incredible lengths to ensure that they would have what they needed to know and respond to what he had done for them in Christ. Now, I want to cover quickly uh, how they knew. There are two primary ways, and they actually come together right here in this story, which is why they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. But there are these two incredible means by which God saw to it, and we know the story, most of it, how these individuals who were Gentiles living 800 miles away from Jerusalem knew that the Christ child had been born in Bethlehem, and they came with great confidence and said, where is he? We know he's here. Tell us about that. I'm going to start, first of all, with what God did on the fourth day of creation to prepare for these men. He put the gospel in the stars. He uh, put the whole gospel story around the earth in the heavens during the very first week of creation. Now, I'm going to encourage you not to do any zodiacal studies. I'm going to encourage you not to go in here and and get yourself involved. This is an amazing uh, area of study. 
I brought a couple books with me written by maybe one guy who you will respect and know who has written a, a book about this. But beginning in the 1820s, there were several books that were written doing the research on the civilizations about what they knew about what was going on. And uh, I'll quote to you here from uh, D. James Kennedy. Most of you should know D. James Kennedy. He's gone, one of the great, greatest evangelistic uh, guys in the world, but he was a pastor of Coral Ridge there. And he wrote a book when he was uh, still had hair. And uh, he, uh, early on in his ministry, talking about this particular thing as he was preaching through. And I uh, came across this here, uh, I don't know, 20 years or so ago, and was, but I was very impressed with. But I want you to note what happened. <clears throat> when God created the uh, universe, get to day four, and he created the stars also. It just kind of bang, boom, all, you know, 375, um, what is it, billion years, billion years, uh, light years away, as far as we can see, and um, was there, but he created all the stars also. But he said, and let them be for four things. Notice what it says, for signs, for seasons, for months, and for, or for days and for years. The very first one there is a sign. Let them be for signs. Signs signify something. They tell something. They are there to give direction about something, but they're a sign. We're told that he named them all. He named all these stars. Names are used in the Bible to describe the character or the characteristics of something or someone. There are over 400 names for God in the Bible. So we have, just in the use of his names, El Shaddai, El Elyon, Jehovah, Yah. We could go 400 and almost 40 of them that we know of that refer to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they tell us who he is by describing a portion of his infinite character. We know he's loving and kind and merciful. He also has all those things. We know because he... His names have revealed it as well as his deeds. So God gave names to all of the stars, and they signify something, and they describe something. Um, a sign is something which proclaims a message. And what is the message proclaimed in the stars? It's the gospel. It's the greatest story. It's what God wants everyone to know, what he's done for us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There exists in the writings of virtually all civilized nations a description of the major stars in the universe, of which there are 12. If you go back to Rome or beyond, back to Greece, or back to Egypt or Persia or Asia or Babylonia, regardless of how far back you go, there is this uh, remarkable phenomenon. Nearly all the nations have the same 12 signs represented, representing the same 12 things placed in the same order. This particular book and I uh, was written in 1893, The Witness of the Stars. It's just basically the research that they did going back to the Egyptians and the Persians and the Macedonians and the Romans and the Greeks who had not 
conferred with each other about these things, finding something very remarkable. The same 12 things placed in the same order, the same 12 signs. They failed to discover how it was that so many nations had the same signs existing. The connections here, oh, they got it from here, they got it from here. There's nothing there that gives any evidence that that was what happened. It's interesting even further because these signs of different things who are signified by the names, for example, a bear or a those stars don't look like bears. There's nothing like it up there to be this or this or this or this. And yet all of these nations separated have the same signs. What did they see? Well, if you go to Job, which is perhaps the oldest book ever written, it certainly is the oldest book in the Bible, He's talking to Job and his friends, and he's saying, can you bring forth the Pleiades? I mean, can you call a constellation? That's a, we can see that in the sky. It has seven primary stars in it, but it's called the Pleiades, and I couldn't tell you what in the world it means or all of that, but that's what name we've associated with it through our heritage. Can you bring forth uh, that constellation, those stars? Can you loose the cords of Orion? You know Orion that shows up in the sky. I don't know if you've ever done anything, but there are three stars that go across here, and then there's one that goes down. That's about all you get for this picture of a man. It, how did everybody get the same kind of a thing where you've got the character here of this warrior? Can you bring forth the Maseroth? That's the Hebrew word for 12. Can you bring forth the 12? Hey, Job, can you bring forth the 12 constellations that are part of this? Can you do it in its season? Now you have a picture here of these 12 signs around the earth, and the earth goes, and these things tip, and sometimes during the year we can't see some of these, quote, 12 signs. And then at some point in time they come up. Something like that probably happened to the Magi, and we saw his star. We hadn't seen it for a better part of a, a year, and then it appeared, and it never had this bright star in it before. We saw his star, how did they associate it with his, whatever that meant for them? Well, what are these uh, signs? And I'm going to go through these, and I'm not, <clears throat> I'm going to do it quickly. And um, other than looking at this in the way that I'm presenting to you now and confirming it in some regard, I haven't done any study here. Please stay away from it. I mean, you don't need it. You have something much better than this. But for a couple of thousand years, there was no written testimony for the men and the women on the planet, except they did have this testimony, except they did know, and these men had this, and they got the rest of it here in an amazing way, but let's go through this real quick. Oh, before I do that, let's talk about Abraham. You remember in, Gen in Galatians, Paul is arguing there that you don't get saved by keeping the law. No, you get saved by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And to make his point, he said Abraham was saved 400 years before the law came. And we have an account of his salvation back there. And he quotes it, he said. He said he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham and it was accounted to him as righteousness. 
We have the account of when it was back in Genesis chapter 15. Can I read it to you? Remember the setting? He didn't have any descendants. His name meant the father of many. And he hadn't any sense. Eliezer of Damascus is the only heir that I have. What do you mean that I'm going to have a descendant and he's going to be the same? He's going to go on. And he said, come on outside, Abraham. And he took him outside and he said, now look to the heavens and recount the stars. Now that Hebrew word recount can mean count or recount. It can mean number, one, two, three, four, five, or it can mean tell and explain or go through the sequence. Nobody gets saved by counting the stars that you can see with the naked eye. You can, there's about 5,000 you can count. Sit out there for a while and count them. I can see those. That's all you can do. No telescopes. Abraham didn't have one. <laughs> he was recounting. Come on outside and recount the story in the stars that you have, that you know. And so he did it. And he said, okay, so shall your seed be. It's singular. So shall the one who's going to come from you be. The one who's described as to what he is and what he will do up there in the sky. And it says, as a result of that, the only thing that you can get saved by, which is to trust in Jesus Christ for your personal salvation, that's the only way you can be made righteous and have his righteousness instead of your own, is to trust in that. And he believed in the Lord and God it can be reckoned it to him for righteousness or imputed him is a better word. Imputed it to him. Righteousness is given to us by God. We don't have it for ourselves. So there's an example of one man in the scripture who went outside and God said, tell me the story. That's the gospel. And if you trust it and if you believe in it, I'll reckon it to you for righteousness. And he did. And he got saved. The only way you can be saved is to do this. All right. <clears throat> so what did he see? Let's go through this quickly. And I'm using these uh, Latin and words we've gotten from the Greeks, uh, and uh, it's been corrupted. Why in the world is Satan so involved with horoscopes and all this stuff, trying to mess up what's there? Because the gospel is in the stars, and he's corrupted it since way back when. And you are going to have a strange thing going to try to figure this out, and so don't do it. Just come here to the script. What did they see? They saw Virgo, the virgin. That's the first sign of the zodiac in all of these cultures across the centuries, is the virgin. There are satellite constellations with these associated with them. Can you bring forth the bear and her... And it's satellites. You remember that quote from uh, Job? So for every one of these 12, there's two side uh, constellations. And one of these here is uh, the desire of the nations. And it's a picture here. If you go and look, it's a, the virgin sitting there with a the child in her lap. So here is uh, the first sign that they would have seen. Then you go on to this child becoming a dual-natured being. Uh, Gemini, or the twins, is uh, a couple of the terms that are 
used to describe this. So you've got some stars that are sitting up there, and you have these this dual-natured being, however they want to depict it, but it's the name of it. It's the sign that is there. Uh, he's the giver of life. Uh, Aquarius, the one who has the fountain of things unending coming from him, according to the one that we normally have. He's in a cosmic struggle with Satan. Scorpio, uh, if you go and look, is one of the signs of the zodiac. The picture that is there and has been there for a couple of centuries is of this one who is the dual nature of being who's now over there. and There's a scorpion stinging him on the heel and his foot is on the head of the scorpion crushing it. I wonder where they got that. So anyway, there's this cosmic struggle with uh, Satan. By the way, the largest constellation in the sky, the one that they use, goes from one end of the sky to the other and it's a snake. Interesting. There's uh, ways in which the redemption of paying a price are described by the names that are used for these stars that are associated with them there. But uh, we have the Northern Cross and we have the Southern Cross. Why there are two, I'm not going to explain that. I don't know. But there's a cross it's in almost every one of these places across the centuries. And uh, then here is the Leo the lion, who is the rampaging, conquering one who ends up being on the other end of this 12 sign times three sequence. So we go from being born of a virgin to dying on a cross to coming back to be the ruler of all. That, in some regard, is most probably what they saw. <clears throat> we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. They knew somehow. They knew that he had been born. They knew he was God. They knew he was going to be the ruler of the Jews. And that meant he was probably in Jerusalem. And uh, they came to worship him as their Lord. There is uh, another way that God got the gospel to them. And it's just as amazing. And after this, God sent them, actually before this, he sent them a personal evangelist. His name was Daniel, and he actually sent to them about uh, 600 years before this. He was taken to Babylon as a young man. So these... and became part of this cast of Magi's, just like these men were. You remember, uh, we read this in Daniel chapter 2 because Daniel had gone through his preparation as a young man. He was in there now. And uh, the king had a dream, and nobody knew it. Call for the wise men, and if they can't tell you what it is, kill them all. They're not worth it. And Daniel was the one who demonstrated that he had an extraordinary spirit, and God gave him the ability to interpret that particular dream. Why? Well, Nebuchadnezzar got saved. Who knows how many magi down the years have gotten saved. We'll meet some of them in heaven, but certainly these men who are way down the list here who were still in this cast of kingmakers 
over several kingdoms, the Medes and Persians were still Persians were still alive. Um, <clears throat> God saw that he got promoted, and he gave him many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. And he was the chief prefect over all the wise men of Magi. So he was the ruler. When Nebuchadnezzar had the judgment of God upon him and he lost his mind for seven years, who ruled Babylon? Daniel, ahead of the Magi. And he kept it for him and gave it back to him. And then Daniel proclaimed the wonder of Daniel's God. So Daniel was very well known going forward. What would have the Israelites brought with them when they came over to Babylon in captivity? They were taken over all the temple. They would have brought over whatever um, documents they had from the prophets that lived before them. Isaiah was one of these. And I mention this because it's very, very likely that these magi here, the ones that came over to see Jesus born, were knowledgeable of the prophets of the Jews because of Daniel's influence and because not only did they get Isaiah, but there's some others, and Daniel himself gave them a prophecy that was very specific. Let's take a peek at these real quickly. They would have had a copy of this. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. How could they not have? Isaiah was a prophet about 200 years before uh, Daniel. Daniel was taken over, but I'm, he was certainly going to be in possession of this. And we could talk about how we know that or what confidence we have, but let's read it. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name God with us. Very consistent with what they probably were reading when they looked at their stargazing things. He says the same thing a couple of chapters later, and we're familiar with this. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom. How did they know that there would be a child born that would become the king? Well, they knew not only from the stars, but they knew from the documents that had been brought over by the Jews who had been put in charge of this whole caste, and they were certainly going to be aware of it. And then we have Daniel, who would certainly have left them his prophecies. Do you know that these men knew the year? in which this Christ child would be born? Hardly a doubt that that was the case. Daniel chapter 9. You are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which was given by Cyrus in March of 445 B.C., until Messiah the Prince 
there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks of years. So if you want to use the Jewish uh, 360 days uh, for a year and have to fix it now because of leap year and the fact that it wasn't, it's 365 days. But in any event, here's a very specific prophecy that says, from that issuing of a decree, there will be 173,880 days until the coming of Messiah. If that's the case, uh, and we're talking perhaps not about his birth, but we're talking about his entering into, Jer- into Jerusalem, where he was proclaimed to be the Messiah. If that's the time, these men are over there saying, you know, this is our generation. Uh, we've got what Isaiah said, 200 years, and then Daniel He said this, and we know the very year in which this one is supposedly going to come. So if I go back and I think through what they did, they said, well, we've seen his star. (laughs) So here they're waiting. They said, it's the year's coming. And then somehow there was a star, and there was a record of some kind of a phenomenon that lasted for more than a year that could be seen in the daytime. Um, back when Christ was born. I can't confirm that. I don't know, but you can read the documents if you want as to how they went back and said, how do we know this? In any event, they said, we've seen his star in the east and we've come now. Not 20 years ago, not yesterday, we've come now because we've seen his star. And uh, they... uh, How did these things go together? They uh, said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Herod said, let me check it out with the chief priests and they'll go to the scripture. And they went to Micah chapter 5. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. So it's very possible that they also had his prophecy in chapter 5. Maybe not. But in any event, when they came and said, it's going to be Bethlehem. Um, you know how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem? Have you been to Bethlehem? Anybody here been to Bethlehem? It's about five miles, and if you're in a high place in Jerusalem there, which is set up on a hill, you can see the fields of Bethlehem uh, at night with the lights are over there. So they went on their way. And it says, Lo, the star went before them and stood over the place where the child was. Nobody really knows what phenomenon that was. We we just don't know. But a star coming down and doing that would probably burn a hole or two in your clothing. I'm not sure. But something happened, some phenomenon. These guys were astrologers. Here's one way that I think it possibly could have happened, and I'm certainly not pushing this, but they were able to confirm that what the stars told them and the message that was there was confirming them with what they were reading here in the uh, scriptures at the timing here. When they saw the star, <clears throat> and the word there is uh, orao, and it means when they saw the star with understanding, something clicked. Now, how do you determine 
the location of a star in, re in relationship to where you are on the Earth. Um, if you're uh, a person that doesn't have a telescope. You know that George Washington was a surveyor, and when he went out, he was able to determine where he was on the Earth's surface using the moons of Jupiter? You should read that. It's fascinating. There's nine moons of Jupiter, and George Washington, with his telescope, was able to say, okay, put the stake here. At a certain time during the day, he knew where he was there relative to being over there by taking his telescope out and seeing where the moons of Jupiter were aligned. And right, nope, right here. Uh, so he did that for a couple of years when he was working as a surveyor. These men somehow were able to say, I think, perhaps, if you, uh, and this is not original with me, but a couple of the old guys said, well, here's how the old, how do you, because they were stargazers. How do, where is this thing and all of that? And they did all of that. They got to a well and said, well, at, at dead midnight, where are we relative to this star? This is spooky hocus pocus, okay, be careful. So at some point in time, midnight, they said, hey, we're waiting for Herod to get back to us with where the location is. Um, why don't you guys see where that star is telling us? So uh, at midnight, right now, where are we relative to where we should be? Oh, see those lights over there? Um, yeah, okay, right about over there. Okay, Herod's people show up and say, it's in Bethlehem. Where's that? It's right over there. And they saw the star with understanding. Somehow, that may not have been the way. Somehow, and then it says what? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy because whatever happened confirmed to them that they had been right and they came over at the right time to the right place to see the right person by what they had had over here and it was all confirmed for them right there at that particular time. And they said they went to the house, the car, the, the, this star stood over the house where the baby was. So from the manger to the house over some period of time, so we're probably talking, you know, a month or so at least travel, but sometime um, several months maybe, but not too many. Uh, Herod killed all the children up to two years, so he was making sure that he got them. So they were confirming when they saw the star, something like that. Okay. Um, God confirmed to them that it was all true. There are three uh, applications here for us. Like these men, God has gone to great lengths for you and I. And if our stories were to be told, I think it would be amazing to see what God has done to ensure that you and I came to know who Christ is and what he's done for us. 2,000 years since that happened. Why in the world is God waiting why in the world hasn't he come back to establish his kingdom? Well, he waited hundreds of years for these men, and he's waited 2,000 years after the work was completed because of you, because you had to be born, because he had to figure out a way to get you to see and know and have it confirmed 
Yes, he's drawing you. Yes, he caused you to be born again, but he's requiring you to come to a place of putting your full trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that's an amazing story of how he would do that. Um, I don't know if anyone here this morning has never just trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It's possible that someone is here who has not revealed the fact that they've just never really done that. We all together here would encourage you. And what a story. I mean, you're in a church here. It was built to praise the Lord Jesus Christ. They preached the gospel here. You've heard it. You've seen the transformation of the lives that have come to these people. My goodness, they're not like they used to be. All the things that have been done. If you happen to be here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the story of how he's gotten you to the place of knowing what he has done is amazing. But we would, even this morning, confess your sins, ask him to forgive you, for what you've done and thank him that he paid the penalty for you and uh, pray to accept him as your savior and as your Lord. There's a final application here that's for the rest of us who know the Lord Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> it's to go and live our remaining time on earth for him just like the Magi did. Notice what we're told here. After they had come and worshipped him. They were warned in a dream. Not to return to Herod. And so they departed for their own country. By another way. The way that they had come was most probably the common trade route that you can research and find. What other way is there to get back to where they came from? Well, the only logical way, if you get on the map and look at it and look at all the possibilities, is to go across the Syrian and Iraqi desert. It's a straight shot. The only reason they didn't take that coming, probably was because there was water and food and everything else all the way over here for the month or so that they had to travel. Going in this direction, across the desert, 2,000 years ago, was a good way to escape Herod, one of the reasons he sent them another way. But you can't go south, can't get home that way. Got to go across the desert. They began to live their lives for Christ according to his word and self-denial and for his glory. It's not an easy path. We don't even know if they survived. We don't know if they did. There's no record uh, that we know of to confirm that one way or another. What do you think they lived for going forward? What do you think they talked about if they did get home? They talked about what God had done for them to those that were there. It was the most important thing. Two issues here for us all. 
the application for us. We are to live our lives now for Christ in self-denial. He has a way for us. He's chosen what we should do. These good deeds were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not as the world walks, but as he wants us to walk for others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who considered others more important than himself. You're going to be with some people over Christmas time, probably, that you haven't seen for a bit, most of us. Some of them won't be saved, probably. What are you going to talk about when you're with them? Let's bow together. Father, thank you for the great lengths to which you have gone to get the message of what you have done for us in Christ to us. Thank you for loving us so much that you would arrange time and the universe that we would fit into your plan and we would be called up to be the delight of your life and spend eternity with you. Thank you for waiting for us. We ask that you might help us to uh, go the other way that we've started to talk, walk on. We've walked on for a while. Help us to finish our course and to complete our ministry. Fight the good fight here in this place that hates you. We ask that you might bless us as we would seek to glorify you in the days that we have remaining. And we thank you for these lessons you've given to us. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long to be with you. We long to see you face to face. We long to stand before the presence of your glory, blameless and with great joy, exceedingly great joy, because of what you've done for us in Christ. We thank you for these things in his name. Amen. Lord bless you. Merry Christmas.